0: Chapter 7.3 of the 9 11 Commission Report. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leanne Howlett. The 9 11 Commission Report. Chapter 7.3. Assembling the Teams. During the summer and early autumn of 2000, bin Laden and senior al-Qaeda leaders in Afghanistan started selecting the muscle hijackers, the operatives who would storm the cockpits and control the passengers. Despite the phrase widely used to describe them, the so-called muscle hijackers were not at all physically imposing. Most were between 5 feet 5 inches and 5 feet 7 inches in height. Recruitment and Selection for nine eleven. Twelve of the thirteen muscle hijackers, excluding Nawaf al Hazmi and Medar, came from Saudi Arabia. Satam al Sakami, Wail al Shari, Walid al Shari, Abdul Aziz al Omari, Ahmed al Gamadi, Hamza al Gamadi, Mahand al Sheri, Majed Moked, Salam al Hazmi, Said al Gamadi, Ahmad al Haznawi, And Ahmad el-Nami. The remaining recruit, Fayez Bani Hamad, came from the UAE. He appears to have played a unique role among the muscle hijackers because of his work with one of the plot's financial facilitators, Mustafa el-Hasawi. Saudi authorities interviewed the relatives of these men and have briefed us on what they found. The muscle hijackers came from a variety of educational and societal backgrounds. All were between 20 and 28 years old. Most were unemployed with no more than a high school education and were unmarried. Four of them, Ahmed al-Ghamadi, Saeed al-Ghamadi, Hamza al and Ahmad al-Haznawi, came from a cluster of three towns in the al-Baha region, an isolated and underdeveloped area of Saudi Arabia, and shared the same tribal affiliation. None had a university degree. Their travel patterns and information from family members suggest that the four may have been in contact with each other as early as the fall of 1999. Five more. Wael al-Shari, Walid al-Shari, Abdul Aziz al-Omari, Mahand al-Shari, and Ahmed al-Nami came from Asir province, a poor region in southwestern Saudi Arabia that borders Yemen. This weakly policed area is sometimes called the Wild Frontier. Wail and Walid al Sheri were brothers. All five in this group had begun university studies. Omari had graduated with honors from high school, had attained a degree from the Imam Muhammad ibn Sa'd Islamic University, was married and had a daughter. The three remaining muscle hijackers from Saudi Arabia were Satam al Majed Moqed, and Salim al-Hazmi. Sukami came from Riyadh. Moked hailed from a small town called Anakil west of Medina Sukami had very little education and Moked had dropped out of university neither Sukami nor Moked appears to have had ties to the other or to any of the other operatives before getting involved with extremists probably by nineteen ninety nine Selim al Hazmi a younger brother of nawaf was born in Mecca Selim's family recalled him as a quarrelsome teenager His brother, Nawaf, probably recommended him for recruitment into al-Qaeda. One al-Qaeda member who knew them says that Nawaf pleaded with bin Laden to allow Salem to participate in the 9-11 operation. Detainees have offered varying reasons for the use of so many Saudi operatives. Bin al Sheib argues that al-Qaeda wanted to send a message to the government of Saudi Arabia about its relationship with the United States. Several other al-Qaeda figures, however, have stated that ethnicity generally was not a factor in the selection of operatives unless it was important for security or operational reasons. KSM, for instance, denies that Saudis were chosen for the 9-11 plot to drive a wedge between the United States and Saudi Arabia, and stresses practical reasons for considering ethnic background when selecting operatives. He says that so many were Saudi because Saudis comprised the largest portion of the pool of recruits in the al-Qaeda training camps. KSM estimates that in any given camp, 70% of the Mujahideen were Saudi, 20% were Yemeni, and 10% were from elsewhere. Although Saudi and Yemeni trainees were most often willing to volunteer for suicide operations, prior to 9-11 it was easier for Saudi operatives to get into the United States. Most of the Saudi muscle hijackers developed their ties to extremists two or three years before the attacks. Their families often did not consider these young men religious zealots. Some were perceived as devout, others as lacking in faith. For instance, although Ahmad al-Ghamadi, Hamza al-Ghamadi, and Sayyid al-Ghamadi attended prayer services regularly, and Omari often served as an imam at his mosque in Saudi Arabia, Suqami and Salim al-Hazmi appeared unconcerned with religion, and contrary to Islamic law, were known to drink alcohol. Like many other al-Qaeda operatives, the Saudis who eventually became the muscle hijackers were targeted for recruitment outside Afghanistan, probably in Saudi Arabia itself. Al-Qaeda recruiters, certain clerics, and, in a few cases, family members, probably all played a role in spotting potential candidates. Several of the muscle hijackers seem to have been recruited through contacts at local universities and mosques. According to the head of one of the training camps in Afghanistan, some were chosen by unnamed Saudi sheiks who had contacts with al-Qaeda. Omari, for example, is believed to have been a student of a radical Saudi cleric named Suleiman al His mosque, which is located in Al-Qasim province, is known among more moderate clerics as a terrorist factory. The province is at the very heart of the strict Wahhabi movement in Saudi Arabia. Saeed al Gamadi and Mahand al-Sheri also spent time in al Qasim, both breaking with their families. According to his father, Mahand al-Sheri's frequent visits to this area resulted in his failing exams at his university in Riyadh. Saeed al Gamadi transferred to a university in al Qasim, but he soon stopped talking to his family and dropped out of school without informing them. The majority of these Saudi recruits began to break with their families in late 1999 and early 2000. According to relatives, some recruits began to make arrangements for extended absences. Others exhibited marked changes in behavior before disappearing. Salem al-Hazmi's father recounted that Salim, who had had problems with alcohol and petty theft, stopped drinking and started attending mosque regularly three months before he disappeared. Several family members remembered that their relatives had expressed a desire to participate in jihad, particularly in Chechnya. None had mentioned going to Afghanistan. These statements might be true or cover stories. The four recruits from the al tribe, for example, all told their families that they were going to Chechnya. Only two, Ahmed al and Saeed al had documentation suggesting travel to a Russian Republic. Some aspiring Saudi mujahideen intending to go to Chechnya encountered difficulties along the way and diverted to Afghanistan in 1999 ibn al-Khattab the primary commander of arab nationals in chechnya reportedly had started turning away most foreign mujahideen because of their inexperience and inability to adjust to the local conditions ksm states that several of the 911 muscle hijackers faced problems traveling to chechnya and so went to afghanistan where they were drawn into al-qaeda khalad has offered a more detailed story of how such diversions occurred According to him, a number of Saudi Mujahideen, who tried to go to Chechnya in 1999 to fight the Russians, were stopped at the Turkish-Georgian border. Upon arriving in Turkey, they received phone calls at guest houses in places such as Istanbul and Ankara, informing them that the route to Chechnya via Georgia had been closed. These Saudis then decided to travel to Afghanistan, where they could train and wait to make another attempt to enter Chechnya during the summer of 2000. While training at al-Qaeda camps, a dozen of them heard bin Laden's speeches, volunteered to become suicide operatives, and eventually were selected as muscle hijackers for the plane's operation. Khalad says he met a number of them at the Kandahar airport, where they were helping to provide extra security. He encouraged bin Laden to use them. Khalad claims to have been closest with Saeed al Gamadi, whom he convinced to become a martyr, and whom he asked to recruit a friend, Ahmed al ghamadi to the same cause. Although Khalad claims not to recall everyone from this group who was later chosen for the 9-11 operation, he says they also included Sukami, Walid and Wail al-Sheri, omari Nami, Hamza al ghamadi Salim al-Hazmi, and Moqed. According to KSM, operatives volunteered for suicide operations, and for the most part were not pressured to martyr themselves. Upon arriving in Afghanistan, a recruit would fill out an application with standard questions, such as, what brought you to Afghanistan? How did you travel here? How did you hear about us? What attracted you to the cause? What is your educational background? Where have you worked before? Applications were valuable for determining the potential of new arrivals, for filtering out potential spies from among them, and for identifying recruits with special skills. For instance, as pointed out earlier, Hani Hanjour noted his pilot training. Prospective operatives also were asked whether they were prepared to serve as suicide operatives. Those who answered in the affirmative were interviewed by senior al-Qaeda lieutenant Mohammed Atef. KSM claims that the most important quality for any al-Qaeda operative was willingness to martyr himself. Khalad agrees and claims that this criterion had preeminence in selecting the planes operation participants. The second most important criterion was demonstrable patience, Callade says, because the planning for such attacks could take years. Callade claims it did not matter whether the hijackers had fought in jihad previously, since he believes that U.S. authorities were not looking for such operatives before 9.11. But KSM asserts that young mujahideen with clean records were chosen to avoid raising alerts during travel. The Al Qaeda training camp head mentioned above adds that operatives with no prior involvement in activities likely to be known to international security agencies were purposefully selected for the 9-11 attacks. Most of the muscle hijackers first underwent basic training similar to that given other al-Qaeda recruits. This included training in firearms, heavy weapons, explosives, and topography. Recruits learned discipline and military life. They were subjected to artificial stresses to measure their psychological fitness and commitment to jihad. At least seven of the Saudi muscle hijackers took this basic training regime at the al-Farouk camp near Kandahar. This particular camp appears to have been the preferred location for vetting and training the potential muscle hijackers because of its proximity to bin Laden and senior al-Qaeda leadership. Two others, Sukami and Moked, trained at Khaldun another large basic training facility located near Kabul, where Midar had trained in the mid-1990s. By the time operatives for the plane's operation were picked in mid-2000, some of them had been training in Afghanistan for months, others were just arriving for the first time, and still others may have been returning after prior visits to the camps. According to KSM, Laden would travel to the camps to deliver lectures and meet the trainees personally, if Bin Laden believed a trainee held promise for a special operation, that trainee would be invited to the Al-Qaeda leader's compound at Tarnak Farms for further meetings. KSM claims that Bin Laden could assess new trainees very quickly, in about 10 minutes, and that many of the 9 hijackers were selected in this manner. Bin Laden, assisted by a TEF, personally chose all the future muscle hijackers for the plane's operation, primarily between the summer of 2000 and April 2001. Upon choosing a trainee, bin Laden would ask him to swear loyalty for a suicide operation. After the selection and oath swearing, the operative would be sent to KSM for training and the filming of a martyrdom video, a function KSM supervised as head of al-Qaeda's media committee. KSM sent the muscle hijacker recruits on to Saudi Arabia to obtain U.S. visas. He gave them money, about $2,000 each, and instructed them to return to Afghanistan for more training after obtaining the visas. At this early stage, the operatives were not told details about the operation. The majority of the Saudi muscle hijackers obtained U.S. visas in Jeddah or Riyadh between September and November of 2000. KSM told potential hijackers to acquire new, clean passports in their home countries before applying for a U.S. visa. This was to avoid raising suspicion about previous travel to countries where al-Qaeda operated. Fourteen of the nineteen hijackers, including nine Saudi muscle hijackers, obtained new passports. Some of these passports were then likely doctored by the al-Qaeda passport division in Kandahar, which would add or erase entry and exit stamps to create false trails in the passports. In addition to the operatives who eventually participated in the 9-11 attacks as muscle hijackers, Bin Laden apparently selected at least nine other Saudis who, for various reasons, did not end up taking part in the operation. Mohammed Mani Ahmad al Khalid Sa'id Ahmad al-Zarani, Ali Abd al-Rahman al Fakasi al Gamadi, Sa'id al-Baluki, Kataiba al Naji, Zuhair al-Tubadi, Sa'id Abdullah Sa'id al Gamadi, Sa'ad al-Rashid, and Mushabib al-Hamlan. A tenth individual, a Tunisian with Canadian citizenship named Abduruf Jaday, may have been a candidate to participate in nine eleven, or he may have been a candidate for a later attack. These candidate hijackers either backed out, had trouble obtaining needed travel documents, or were removed from the operation by the al-Qaeda leadership. Khalad believes KSM wanted between four and six operatives per plane. KSM states that al-Qaeda had originally planned to use 25 or 26 hijackers, but ended up with only the 19. Final training and deployment to the United States Having acquired U.S. visas in Saudi Arabia, the muscle hijackers returned to Afghanistan for special training in late 2000 to early 2001. The training reportedly was conducted at the al-Matar complex by Abu Tarab al-Jordani, one of only a handful of al-Qaeda operatives, who, according to KSM, was aware of the full details of the planned planes operation. Abu Tarab taught the operatives how to conduct hijackings, disarm air marshals, and handle explosives. He also trained them in bodybuilding and provided them with a few basic English words and phrases. According to KSM, Abu Tarab even had the trainees butcher a sheep and a camel with a knife to prepare to use knives during the hijackings. The recruits learned to focus on storming the cockpit at the earliest opportunity when the doors first opened, and to worry about seizing control over the rest of the plane later. The operatives were taught about other kinds of attack as well, such as truck bombing, so that they would not be able to disclose the exact nature of their operation if they were caught. According to KSM, the Muscle did not learn the full details, including the plan to hijack planes and fly them into buildings before reaching the United States. After training in Afghanistan, the operatives went to a safe house maintained by KSM in Karachi and stayed there temporarily before being deployed to the United States via the UAE. The safe house was run by al-Qaeda operative Abd al-Rahim Ghuloum Rabani, also known as Abu Ramah, a close associate of KSM who assisted him for three years by finding apartments and lending logistical support to operatives KSM would send. According to an al-Qaeda facilitator operatives were brought to the safe house by a trusted pakistani al-Qaeda courier named abdullah sindi who also worked for ksm the future hijackers usually arrived in groups of two or three staying at the safe house for as long as two weeks the facilitator has identified each operative whom he assisted at ksm's direction in the spring of two thousand one Before the operatives left Pakistan, each of them received $10,000 from KSM for future expenses. From Pakistan, the operatives transited through the UAE en route to the United States. In the Emirates, they were assisted primarily by al-Qaeda operatives Ali Abdul Aziz Ali and Mustafa El Hassawi. Ali apparently assisted nine future hijackers between April and June 2001 as they came through Dubai. He helped them with plane tickets, travelers' checks, and hotel reservations. He also taught them about everyday aspects of life in the West, such as purchasing clothes and ordering food. Dubai, a modern city with easy access to a major airport, travel agencies, hotels, and Western commercial establishments, was an ideal transit point. Ali reportedly assumed the operatives he was helping were involved in a big operation in the United States. He did not know the details. When he asked KSM to send him an assistant, KSM dispatched Hasawi, who had worked on Al-Qaeda's media committee in Kandahar. Hasawi helped send the last four operatives, other than Midar, to the United States from the UAE. Hasawi would consult with Atta about the hijackers' travel schedules to the United States and later check with Atta to confirm that each had arrived. Hasawi told the muscle hijackers that they would be met by Atta at the airport. Hasawi also facilitated some of the operation's financing. The muscle hijackers began arriving in the United States in late April 2001. In most cases, they traveled in pairs on tourist visas and entered the United States in Orlando or Miami, Florida, Washington, D.C., or New York. Those arriving in Florida were assisted by Atta and Shilhi, while hosmi and Hanjur took care of the rest. By the end of June, 14 of the 15 muscle hijackers had crossed the Atlantic. The muscle hijackers supplied an infusion of funds which they carried as a mixture of cash and traveler's checks purchased in the UAE and Saudi Arabia. Seven muscle hijackers are known to have purchased a total of nearly $50,000 in traveler's checks that were used in the United States. Moreover, substantial deposits into operatives' U.S. bank accounts immediately followed the entry of other muscle hijackers, indicating that those newcomers brought money with them as well. In addition, muscle hijacker Bonnie Hamad came to the United States after opening bank accounts in the UAE into which were deposited the equivalent of approximately $30,000 on June 25, 2001. After his June twenty seventh arrival in the United States, Bonnie Hamad made visa and ATM withdrawals from his UAE accounts. The hijackers made extensive use of banks in the United States, choosing both branches of major international banks and smaller regional banks. All of the hijackers opened accounts in their own name and used passports and other identification documents that appeared valid on their face. Contrary to numerous published reports, there is no evidence the hijackers ever used false Social Security numbers to open any bank accounts. While the hijackers were not experts on the use of the U.S. financial system, Nothing they did would have led the banks to suspect criminal behavior, let alone a terrorist plot to commit mass murder. The last muscle hijacker to arrive was Khalid al-Madar. As mentioned earlier, he had abandoned Hazmi in San Diego in June 2000 and returned to his family in Yemen. Madar reportedly stayed in Yemen for about a month before Khalid persuaded him to return to Afghanistan. Madar complained about life in the United States, He met with KSM, who remained annoyed at his decision to go AWOL. But KSM's desire to drop him from the operation yielded to Bin Laden's insistence to keep him. By late 2000, Medar was in Mecca, staying with a cousin until February 2001, when he went home to visit his family before returning to Afghanistan. In June 2001, Medar returned once more to Mecca to stay with his cousin for another month. Madar said that bin Laden was planning five attacks on the United States. Before leaving, Madar asked his cousin to watch over his home and family because of a job he had to do. On July 4, 2001, Madar left Saudi Arabia to return to the United States, arriving at John F. Kennedy International Airport in New York. Madar gave his attendant address as the Marriott Hotel, New York City, but instead spent one night at another New York hotel. He then joined the group of hijackers in Patterson, reuniting with Nawaf al-Hazmi after more than a year. With two months remaining, all 19 hijackers were in the United States and ready to take the final steps toward carrying out the attacks. Assistance from Hezbollah and Iran to Al-Qaeda As we mentioned in Chapter 2, while in Sudan, senior managers in Al-Qaeda maintained contacts with Iran and the Iranian-supported worldwide terrorist organization Hezbollah, which is based mainly in southern Lebanon and Beirut. Al-Qaeda members received advice and training from Hezbollah. Intelligence indicates the persistence of contacts between Iranian security officials and senior Al-Qaeda figures after Bin Laden's return to Afghanistan. Khalad has said that Iran made a concerted effort to strengthen relations with Al-Qaeda after the October 2000 attack on the USS Cole, but was rebuffed because Bin Laden did not want to alienate his supporters in Saudi Arabia. Khalad and other detainees have described the willingness of Iranian officials to facilitate the travel of al-Qaeda members through Iran on their way to and from Afghanistan. For example, Iranian border inspectors would be told not to place telltale stamps in the passports of these travelers. Such arrangements were particularly beneficial to Saudi members of al-Qaeda. Our knowledge of the international travels of the al-Qaeda operatives selected for the 9-11 operation remains fragmentary but we now have evidence suggesting that 8 to 10 of the 14 Saudi muscle operatives traveled into or out of Iran between October 2000 and February 2001. In October 2000, a senior operative of Hezbollah visited Saudi Arabia to coordinate activities there. He also planned to assist individuals in Saudi Arabia in traveling to Iran during November. A top Hezbollah commander and Saudi Hezbollah contacts were involved. Also in October 2000, two future muscle hijackers, Mahand al-Sharie and Hamza al Gamadi, flew from Iran to Kuwait. In November, Ahmad al Gamadi apparently flew to Beirut, traveling, perhaps by coincidence, on the same flight as a senior Hezbollah operative. Also in November, Salim al-Hazmi apparently flew from Saudi Arabia to Beirut. In mid-November, we believe, three of the future muscle hijackers, Wael al-Shari, Walid al-Shari, and Ahmed al-Nami, all of whom had obtained their U.S. visas in late October, traveled in a group from Saudi Arabia to Beirut and then onward to Iran. An associate of a senior Hezbollah operative was on the same flight that took the future hijackers to Iran. Hezbollah officials in Beirut and Iran were expecting the arrival of a group during the same time period. The travel of this group was important enough to merit the attention of senior figures in Hezbollah. Later in November, two future muscle hijackers, Satam al-Sakami and Majed Mokhed, flew into Iran from Bahrain. In February 2001, Khalid al-Madar may have taken a flight from Syria to Iran and then traveled further within Iran to a point near the Afghan border. KSM and Ben al-Sheib have confirmed that several of the nine eleven hijackers at least eight according to Ben al shib transited Iran on their way to or from Afghanistan, taking advantage of the Iranian practice of not stamping Saudi passports. They deny any other reason for the hijackers' travel to Iran. They also deny any relationship between the hijackers and Hezbollah. In sum, there is strong evidence that Iran facilitated the transit of al-Qaeda members into and out of Afghanistan before 9-11, and that some of these were future 9-11 hijackers. There also is circumstantial evidence that senior Hezbollah operatives were closely tracking the travel of some of these future muscle hijackers into Iran in November 2000. However, we cannot rule out the possibility of a remarkable coincidence. That is, that Hezbollah was actually focusing on some other group of individuals traveling from Saudi Arabia during the same time frame rather than the future hijackers. We have found no evidence that Iran or Hezbollah was aware of the planning for what later became the 9-11 attack. At the time of their travel through Iran, the al-Qaeda operatives themselves were probably not aware of the specific details of their future operation. After 9-11, Iran and Hezbollah wished to conceal any past evidence of cooperation with Sunni terrorists associated with al-Qaeda. A senior Hezbollah official disclaimed any Hezbollah involvement in 9-11. We believe this topic requires further investigation by the U.S. government. End of chapter seven point three recording by Leanne Howlett.